0: This is On House of Cards, a recap show from On The Media. I'm Brooke Gladstone.
1: What if this is as far as we get? What if it's all over in 18 months? I don't want to wait.
0: I've pulled in old White House hands, hacks, and policy wonks, and even the show's creator and cast, to assess, giggle, and yes, occasionally sneer at one of our
2: guiltiest pleasures. You want forward thinking, Bob? Then think forward. You want a fresh face for 2016? You want to work together? Then present my program to Congress.
0: On House of Cards. Not your average recap show. I'm Brooke Gladstone, host of On the Media and also of this On House of Cards podcast. This one is devoted to episode two, which we're calling The Lady Parts. I'm joined by Cokie Roberts and Linda Wertheimer. Hello, ladies. Hello, Brooke. (laughs) So, you know, we start this episode with Claire's Senate confirmation hearing.
1: I'm glad you brought up nepotism, Senator. Um... If this were an outright appointment, that would be one thing. But in this case, the president can only nominate. It's the Senate that deems me worthy. I'm here to convince you that I am. Although I must admit, my husband never remembers to put the toilet seat down, so he could be trying to make it up to me.
0: (laughs) All right. Now, my feeling about this is that the toilet seat joke was a big mistake. I know candidates are supposed to humanize themselves, but not prospective UN ambassadors, right?
3: <laughs> well, that was a bad moment, I think. But but of course, it got a lot worse. But the toilet seat joke was not a good joke. I mean, if she, if she had found some other way to make a joke about him, that probably would have worked better.
4: But you start from the premise that it's ridiculous that she's there. At least I right. started from <laughs> <in> that premise. That's <laughs> a true story. And that she's having any kind of conversation with a committee of Congress. I would be terrified to do something like that just on the grounds that they will try to be as nasty to you as they possibly can, as Koki said. It's not so unusual
0: for... Presidential wives to have other aspirations. I mean, I know you know. Hillary oh, oh, Brooke, Brooke, but they've course. never had, but they've never had
3: appointments or jobs. I mean, you or know, it's Senate one,
4: confirmation, for right? <laughs> I
3: mean, it's it's one thing for uh, you know Eleanor Roosevelt to write a column and go out and and meet with people and and all first ladies from the beginning have had causes where they've lobbied Congress. They've all lobbied Congress, but that's very different from being confirmed by Congress. And they've written health care bills.
0: Right. Yeah, but well, it's still yes, different
4: with varying degrees of success. <laughs> right. <laughs> the, I mean, that uh,
0: wasn't successful. No, yeah, not but at Not all. because it was her, but because she was yes, secretive. It was because
3: it was. No, it was a lot because it was her. Look, here's what you have to keep in mind about the First Lady. The First Lady is elected by no one and has an enormous amount of power. And so people are always very suspicious of her, regardless of who she is or how nice she is or any of those things, because they know that they can't intervene between her and the president. And so first ladies have to be very careful about what roles they take on.
4: Think about a first lady like Rosalind Carter. You know, she was just the sweetest, quietest, dearest lady who sort of stayed in the background but she was at least as ambitious as Jimmy Carter was when they were in the white house and there were a lot of things that she would have liked to do you know mm-hmm. sitting in on a cabinet meeting at the very beginning of of his presidency was the first thing that she tried to do and that of course there, i mean people were hard fired right well when you saw claire
0: doing it then how did you feel did you think ugh this is so unrealistic or was there a certain kind of satisfaction in seeing her just go for it <laughs>
4: Well, when I, saw, when I saw that, I just thought that the, you know, the plot line was going a little bit off the rails there. It might happen. It is not going to happen yet. I can't think of a more useful sort of person than Michelle Obama, but she has been way in the background in this White House.
3: But also, I can't imagine anybody blowing up at their own confirmation oh. hearing and telling the senator not to grandstand, regardless of who it is.
2: What if there were a peacekeeping mission? and say burma to quell civil unrest and the united nations asked us to contribute troops to put our servicemen and women's lives in peril
1: if you're using myanmar as a hypothetical i think we're a long way from that but as ambassador my question
2: concerns the use of us military
1: the us military is irrelevant the current situation in uh, myanmar excuse me mrs is underwood
2: that... the us military is irrelevant
1: I, that's not what i said
2: you said verbatim the us military is irrelevant
1: well in the in the context of I meant uh, that there are plenty. I have the utmost respect and appreciation for our troops, sir. Not with
2: statements like that, you don't. Hey,
1: Senator, if I may, I can explain. How do we
2: explain to the men and women who serve, who put their lives on the line that our ambassador thinks they're irrelevant?
1: I think that's an unfair characterization of what I intend to say. I am not characterizing
2: say. anything, Mrs. Underwood. You said the words, and now you're trying to backpedal no, your sir, way out of it. you're trying to take Please my don't words interrupt out of co- me.
1: If you will stop interrupting me, I can explain no, she, to you what asked I we ask the
2: questions, you answer them. You're not
1: allowing me to answer the questions, Senator, if you could maybe listen instead of grandstanding.
2: The position you're being considered for requires calm, cool diplomacy. What concerns me even more than the military comment is your demeanor. Is this what we're to expect from our ambassador, a hothead?
3: come on Brooke this is the tip of the iceberg in terms of house of cards and reality exactly. I mean, this is this this is the least real series about Washington that I have ever seen and actually and I am about to become a bit of a schoolmarm here I think it's highly destructive I mean for you know we've got a bad enough time going now with people having views of government that are in the basement and uh, and then you put on this show that has the The president murdering people? I mean, come on. I mean, I I can't (laughs) believe you're saying that. Well, on scandal,
4: the president murdered somebody, and so did the vice president. You don't really
0: think that this is having it. I mean, you like this show, right? Actually, I don't. I did for a <laughs> oh, while. Not no, I don't. Again. <laughs> I, I
3: liked it for a little while, and hmm. then it just got so dark and so unrealistic that it stopped being
4: fun. Okay. okay. The version of the White okay. House that I like the best is Scandal because it's just so unbelievable. And although I do think scandal. that Robin Robin Wright's clothes are great, uh, yes, uh, that's true, and she looks fabulous. I must say that toward the end of that whole scene. You know, where she's at her confirmation hearing, you see two things that are like eternal verities in Congress that I think are very realistic, that the committee turns on her and just awful to her. Mm-hmm. And that happens all the time because people who appear before members of Congress are completely defenseless. You know, it's nothing like the rules of court or the rules of debate or any kind of rules at all. These guys say whatever they want. They yell, they scream, they're obnoxious. And it is – there's just absolutely nothing to do except sit there and take it. Well, except
3: usually it works – Worse for the members of Congress, though. You know, think about Ali North uh, sitting there with the Iran-Contra committees all up on that dais staring down at him, and he totally won that confrontation. And actually, so did Anita Hill with the American public. I mean, members of Congress, when they start bullying like that, they look like the bad guys.
4: Well, then the other part of it, though, that did ring true to me was that after that event, Leaving aside for the moment that the First Lady was, you know, nominated at all and appeared before the committee at all, <laughs> if, you, if you're going to accept that. Once you're on Mars. She screams and yells for a while. She, you know, she feels very bad. She cries. And then she pulls herself together and she starts calling, looking for votes. Right.
1: I've spoken to almost every Republican in your committee, sir. Yes, they're taking their cue from you. Is there another number where I can reach him? It's important that we speak this evening. Yes, anytime, no matter how late.
4: Now that is something that I can imagine actually could happen. You know, the the (laughs) Tip O'Neill, I think it was, wasn't it, Cokie, who said about Congress, no permanent friends, no permanent enemies. No, it was my father. It was my
3: father. Was it your father? Well, it's absolutely
4: true. It was true then. It's true. It's still true.
3: It's less true than it used to be because they line up together so much more than they used to. Mm
4: -hmm. But it
0: used to be true that you couldn't afford to keep an enemy. So in between watching her performance on TV and abandoning the solicitor general in his office, Frank (laughs) meets with the Democratic leadership and he's touting his bold or one might say loony jobs bill <laughs> that will be funded by eviscerating entitlements. And he finds out that his own party doesn't want him to run in the next election. Let's play that
2: clip. Universal employment. It's the key for our keeping the White House in 2016. It's the only chance we have of winning back majorities in Congress. Now, the election is only 18 months away. We need to do something bold, something decisive. We need to redefine our party. Actually, that's what we wanted to discuss. you're right. We do need to redefine the party. We need to do it with a fresh face. 2016. We don't want you to run. You weren't even elected to the office in the first place. The pardons hurt you. Approvals are low. We're not casting blame, sir. We just believe that this is best for the party.
4: Well, of course they're right. It's got to be best for the party. Especially since he's likely to murder somebody between (laughs) now and then. (laughs) But they did come across as just, I mean, it was a, a, a vile moment for him. And uh, I don't know, I I thought a very uncomfortable moment. I must say that he said back to them, you know, you don't want to turn your back on a sitting president of the United States. Well, I must say, I think most members of Congress would be a little bit worried about turning their back on a sitting president, no matter how (laughs) he got there.
3: I mean that is true and particularly if they 're in the same party, because the truth is is that what they even if they hate him, and with Linda and I have covered many a congressman who hates a the president, they still think it 's in their best interest for him to succeed but the time comes when they think that getting him out of there is best. And of course, the only example we can come up with is Richard Nixon. But that's really what happened. I mean, it did take members of his party going to him and saying, you got to go. And I mean, there's a remarkable letter from George H.W. Bush, who was head of the Republican National Committee, saying, you got to go. And uh, so it does happen. I think it, it's it's easier to do it in writing.
4: than,
0: it is, than, than it's it is easier to do, to do it Oval when there are Office. high crimes
4: and misdemeanors involved.
0: That's also true. But what do you think of the uh, the casting of Larry Pine as the Democratic leader Birch? I mean, I find it distracting how much he reminds me of Jason Robards playing Ben Bradley. Uh, uh, it, it causes a little cognitive dissonance.
4: But it's also true that he that he does look like. You know, if you were going to order a senior senator from Sears, uh, you would get that guy. He would look like that. I mean, he might have, he might have nothing else to recommend him, but he would have that authoritative look.
3: I tell you hair. so far, the, good hair. the only person I like is the Secretary of State. Yeah, um, yeah, now, she's, she's the only she's... one who
0: seems to really care about the job she's doing, and, no, not... and and she seems like fun. And she went to
3: Tulane and all of that. <laughs> I just think that, yeah, yeah, I, well, because I, you're, you're from I'm, there, right? But I, I mean, I'm sure she'll do something awful before you know before she's offed. But um, <laughs> but the at the moment, she's the only person in the whole gang that I like.
4: Well I I'm very fond of Kevin Spacey and his work. I mean, I've never met the man in my life, but I, no, like, no, his, no, his I work, like his I like his work. But not
3: the character. I'm talking about the but character. But this
4: character is really is really pretty horrible. <laughs> uh, but I still I still kind of admire the way he plays it to act being a convincing liar. You know, it's kind of a double bluff and I, I think it must be very very hard to figure out how to do it.
3: No, I think he's I think he's terrific in the role. I I think it's gonna be hard for him for any other role because we're all gonna look, look at him and think, you know,
0: oh, uh, yeah, that's what you say, but I don't believe a word you
3: say. I don't know
0: I don't know if that many people actually watch this. It's it's not exactly like, you know, the King and I or something like
3: well, that. Except, except except here in Washington the whole city watch, yeah. watches. It's especially the kids. You know, I mean by the kids I mean the twenty somethings.
4: <laughs>
0: This is on House of Cards. We'll hear more from Cokie Roberts and Linda Wertheimer after this. Okay, so the reason why we call this episode The Lady Parts is because the women who will support or betray or just follow their own agendas in this season, continuously messing up Frank's grand plans are being set up here like pieces on a chessboard. You've got the Solicitor General, Heather Dunbar. You have Frank's erstwhile congressional ally, Jackie Sharp. Turns against him. Turns against him, and she calls on another woman, a respected reporter named Isla Sayad. Now, have you noticed how every reporter on the show, at least one with an actual part, is a woman? And they don't well, all have sex for information and then get pushed in front of subway well, trains. I, mean, I was about I to think, say,
3: you know, it's a dangerous thing <laughs> to be in this particular program. <laughs> but, what,
4: but what do you think about that? Back in the day, there used to be no women, as you know. I mean, when we all started out... I can remember being the only woman sitting at the press table and having to listen to these guys talk about, you know, I have a good joke, I can't tell it because she's here. Right. I mean, all the sort of stupid cliche things that you hear—they all happen. That's one of the reasons that I never watched Mad Men. I thought, you know, I was there, lived it. I don't want to watch it. I don't need to do it again. Been there, done that. But I do think that one of the things that has happened in covering politics and political Washington is that it has become, in large part, women's work. There are a tremendous number of women, and I don't just mean you know, the sweet young things with cleavage that we see on TV all the time, But but there are a lot of women doing this kind of work now, that there are not a lot of women in the Congress, and there are not a lot of women in the Cabinet, and there are not a lot of women in senior positions in government. So, you know, if you want to, like, get some women on TV, which is something TV always wants to do, That's the role. That's a good place to put (laughs) them.
3: It reflects reality in coverage and also in what's going on in journalism. I mean, you know, journalism schools are 99 percent female. Wow. Is that true? Are you making that up? No, I mean, my my (laughs) husband teaches journalism and he doesn't have a guy in his classes, one guy, two guys a year.
0: That's because it doesn't pay as well as it used to. That's right. (laughs) That's why NPR had so many women at the beginning. Absolutely. That's absolutely right. As Frank Mankiewicz said, you get more bang for
3: the buck with the (laughs) balls. That is
0: really (laughs) crude. Okay, so uh, (laughs) now I want to get to the dominant lady of parts, Claire. You guys have any strong thoughts about her at this point? Well, you know, I'm not now, sure. Now, you're, you're fairly new to the series, Linda, so you don't know what she's done in, in prior seasons. You did say, I should say, that, you know, you saw her making calls. And, and there's that funny scene where Claire drops some food on her skirt and dabs at it while she's on the phone trying to get support. She's so yeah, she's impeccable. Pouring, pouring a
4: little club soda on her skirt.
0: <laughs> and, and for her or to she... drop
4: food shows how rattled she is. Well, the other thing is, she's she's not, she does not strike me as being the Lady Macbeth that the British series. Well, if you saw
0: her in the previous uh, seasons, you would know what she's capable of.
3: (laughs) Well, except, Brooke, you know, I do think that she was, so you remember there was that period when she wanted to have a baby and then he murdered Zoe. And uh, I think that that sort of turned her off, really wanting to procreate with him. And so, you know, you can, which is understandable. And um, so, I think that you know, there's, there's sort of hints that she's
4: not 100 percent evil, but just hints. Well, the other thing, the other thing about her is, I think that if you have a, an ambitious to the soles of his feet member of Congress like that. Even as a young man, you know, even as a, even as a recent college graduate or whatever, that they tend to be rather more conservative in their choices of mates. They may mess around. With You're talking fancy about ladies. Frank here. Yeah,
2: yeah. I just,
4: I'm, I'm, I think it would have taken a lot of guts to marry a woman like that, and oh, because it's so much, so much would Linda. be predictable.
3: Think, think, Bill and Hillary Clinton.
4: Come on, I mean, well, that's true. Was that's a, true. He took I mean, he uh, was ambitious. He took from a terrible risk, but not as much yeah. of a risk as she took, as it turns out. <laughs>
0: that's well. Now, there you go. So they—they're spending the night. They're all both making calls. They're both getting increasingly frustrated. They're not having any luck. Claire says she wants to run along the mall. The Secret Service says it's better if she runs on the track because fewer security problems. But she still goes to the mall, and and that's realistic because I assume you guys go on major jogs whenever the pressure mounts, right? absolutely.
3: (laughs) It's the first thing we do. It's just head outside and just run our lungs out, right?
4: No. How about going and getting a glass of wine? It yeah. is true that every once in a while, when Cokie and I were covering the Congress, that you would feel a real compulsion to walk at about 90 miles an hour from the <laughs> House to the Senate, from the Senate to the House, just to, you know, just to like calm down. Okay, now yeah. we're going to talk about sex. Oh, okay. yeah. Okay. She comes back
0: from the run. Frank, she finds huddled by his desk in the dark, crying. Now, this is not a very sexy marriage, as we can tell. And even Frank's sexuality is a little ambiguous. And we learned very early in the series, they haven't been sleeping together and they have sex or she has sex with him while he's sort of passively sitting there. And, and I don't know, I I think that there's a (laughs) sense of a kind of dominant mama. Well, that I think that there's a certain dominant uh, submissive kind of, relationship emotionally and sexually that we're
4: seeing for the first time. I mean, I, I just assumed that that was a, uh, that that was a kind of a joke by the producers aimed at <laughs> all of the presidents who possibly had sex in the Oval Office. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mean, but this know, isn't in the
0: Oval Office. It's not romantic at all. It's, no, she's it's just clinical. trying to pull him
4: back from the edge. It's sort of like Comfort sex, or
0: well, but that seems
3: to be their relationship. I mean, I mean after she completely implodes, his immediate thing is, how can I help so as as calculating as they are and as evil as they are, uh, they do have each other 's backs
0: sometimes as <laughs> 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 she's not compromising her ambitions as she has in previous seasons.
4: yeah, I thought that was interesting. The moment where she says to him, okay, I want a recess appointment.
1: I prepared for it. I can do this. And after it's all over, if I've done the job I know I can do, I'll be positioned for anything I want. Claire. Now, I checked with the White House counsel. There is precedent for a recess appointment after a rejected nomination. Only once, but you wouldn't be the first. And I know you'll take a hit politically, and I know people will think I don't deserve it. They'll have doubts in me. But what if this is as far as we get? What if it's all over in 18 months? I don't want to wait. And he looks at her, you know, and and one of the
4: things that is a big feature of this program is the calculating look. Mm -hmm. They give you a look and you can just imagine that they are weighing it, trying (laughs) to decide if I do this, if I do that. So he says, okay, I'll do it. And I'm thinking, what? (laughs) Where did that come from?
3: (laughs) Well, there's a lot of that with each, with each other. You know,
0: there's deal-making. What did you think of the scene with the Easter eggs? I thought that was really interesting. <laughs> I mean, she's picking the eggs. They, I don't know. I guess they're made of some kind of stone. And she's commenting on the colors. You know, she says... These are going
4: to be presents for what? Visitors, I, important I, visitors or roll, something?
0: Or rolling on the lawn or something like that?
4: I, I don't know what the Easter eggs are for, but I thought it was... I, I agree with you. That was very strange.
0: She's bouncing back and forth between calls about the fate of her nomination and this first lady thing that she has to do. Someone comes in
1: with a box of eggs. A cart. This one's a little too pink. Girls like pink. This is more than pink. It's neon. Uh, I'm choosing four? Yes, ma'am. Willa? Up uh, by two, forty-eight to forty-six. Ma'am, we can finish up later. No. Uh, what's next? Uh, the commemoratives. These are really special. She's dressed in her
0: gray and black, and she's still focused on this nomination while commenting on the eggs. She doesn't. Of course, she doesn't like the pink egg, but she doesn't really like the black <laughs> egg either. And. She's holding the black egg. When she sees Frank, she hands him the black egg. And I just wonder if there's some symbolism there, something about the confirmation. Yeah, Of
4: course. Of course. I mean, first of
0: all, who would ever have a black egg? See,
3: I mean, they can't even get the Easter eggs right on this program. The black egg. (laughs) With the signatures (laughs) of POTUS and FLOTUS. I mean, they've never had such a thing. So, the, um, How do you know? So, How do you know they Because nobody has black eggs. <laughs> eggs, <laughs> eggs are pastel or in Greece they're red. But the um, fact is, is that it is true that a first lady does have to do these things. She does have to be those two things at the same time. The deeply involved in policy and the person who has to put on the Easter egg hunt and pick out the eggs and pick out the Christmas. Christmas decorations and decorate
0: the White House, and all and of spend a things. lot of time
4: on state dinners and who's invited and here and where there and everywhere.
0: You were talking, Linda, about how she tells Frank she wants that recess appointment. Frank agrees and leaves. Claire is stunned, and then she begins to cry and gets sick in the sink. I wonder if that's a some kind of weird reference to Clinton and his sink, but never mind. She <laughs> re- she recovers her cool, and then she starts cooking, and she's making two fried eggs, and they simmer ominously. As she I thought that was so drink. funny.
4: He, he asks <laughs> her, do you want a peanut butter jelly sandwich, which I gather was the regular supper of presidents like both the George Bushes. And she says no, and then she throws these two eggs and watches them sizzle, and we get a good... Close up of two eggs, which is kinda of weird. I don't know what that meant. I it's thought probably the two of them it together. It practically <laughs> has the it has a caption that says meaningful <laughs> moment. And I'm trying to think, what the hell does this mean? Don't you think it's the two
3: of them together in the frying pan?
0: <laughs> Out of the fire. <laughs> thank you, Cokie, and thank you, Linda, so much. You're it very, very fun. welcome. It's really it nice, nice to talk to you. Fun. On House of Cards is produced by Kimmy Regler with help from Claire Tennisgetter and edited by me. Katja Rogers is our executive producer. Jennifer Munson is our engineer. You can subscribe to this podcast and On the Media on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you go to iTunes, leave us a review while you're there. It really helps us out. And follow us on Twitter at On the Media. Next episode, Les Gelb, President Emeritus of the Council on Foreign Relations, and Fred Kaplan, war stories columnist for Slate and author of The Insurgents, on state dinners and behind-the-scenes Russian diplomacy.
4: And all of a sudden he stopped laughing and downing his vodkas, and he said, Leslie, you don't expect me to talk about that.